Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. I am executive producer Brian Griggs, sitting in for Brian Berger this week, who's been out sick. He should be back next week, we hope. Get well, buddy. But in the meantime, I put together a great best of show I think you're going to really enjoy. We kick it off next in segment two, a look back at Brian's discussion with Pete Carroll, the executive head of football operations and coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Then in segment three, Brian talks with Bill Duffy, the president of BDA Sports. He's an NBA agent that represents Steve Nash, Greg Oden, Rajon Rondo, and more. Then we'll wrap it up in segment four with Brian's conversation with commissioner of the Pac-12, Larry Scott. Awesome conversation about the new big TV deal the Pac-12 signed recently this year. So a great best of coming your way. Stick around for that. A couple of other notes. You can download the podcast on demand of this SBR show and others at our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Become a fan of us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at SB Radio. All the icons for those are on our homepage. Stick around. Pete Carroll kicks it off next on this best of sports business radio. This is the best of SBR. Back with more after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of Football Operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Just happy to have you on the show. You know, when I spoke to you a few years ago in your office at USC, you told me it'd have to be a near-perfect situation for you to return to the NFL. What, ab- what about the Seahawks job intrigued you to return to the NFL last year? Well, everything, every aspect of it was, was right on the mark, and, and that's why it, it did kind of fit what I had described to you a while back. You know, um, it, was a, it was a club that, that was an owner that was willing to give – uh, the freedom to the head coach to do the things he needed to do, in my mind, which was, was all the personnel stuff and, and structure it philosophically the way he wanted to do it, uh, was the, the open support from that, that end of it. It was a, 
uh, makeup of a franchise, you know, that, that had a chance to do something, that, that where they played, who they played, the stadium was awesome, the fans were great. Um, you know, every aspect of this of this had, had the potential. Now, it wasn't all set up just right in that they were winning and, and, and winning a lot of games right off the bat, which was fine. I understood that part of it. But all of the elements that would make up a, a great opportunity were there. And I think particularly it was the freedom to, to do it the way I knew how to do it best was what made it most attractive. What did you learn from your time as the head coach of the Jets and the Patriots that helped bring you a more educated perspective about the NFL when you took the Seattle job? Well, it, there's, there's, this job has so many aspects to it that as you're going through the first couple of times, you know, you, you just get smacked in the face with, you know, decisions and concepts and, and approaches and perspectives that, you know, that you couldn't anticipate until you got there. So uh, just getting through those things and seeing them for the first couple of times uh, it lets you know what you're in for. And so it, it, I really didn't feel like I did very well uh, the first couple of times around and didn't have, you know, the perspective that I do have now that was, it, you know, I was able to kind of put together after those two experiences, then going to USC for nine years and figuring it out and then coming here. It gave me a chance to get my mind in order, my philosophy in order, and, and, and really a much stronger perspective to, to attack this, the challenges of this job. In your first season in Seattle, you led the Seahawks to their first NFC West title in three seasons. You proceeded to knock off the defending Super Bowl champion New Orleans Saints in the playoffs. You and first-year GM John Schneider, you guys made 284 roster moves. What are your priorities with your roster this offseason? Um, you know, our priorities are just like it was in the draft, to pick out specific areas and go after them and improve them and do it with really strong-willed, competitive, tough guys that really love the game and to, to build just a really strong culture from within. We've always been about making this roster more competitive, and that's why you saw us make so many moves last time around and uh, where we attacked the offensive line in the early part of the draft and then went after some skilled guys uh, on the other side of the ball, you know, in the, in the second half of the draft. Um, we really were specifically pointed at trying to improve the depth, com- improve the competitiveness, and just make us a stronger team all the way across the board. And so, we'll, we'll do exactly the same thing as we as we go to free agency, and, and that means we're you know, and uh, and the free agency of the of the young players is really going to be particularly pointed in that regard too. I read a story this morning. I, you know, last year you gave former USC wide receiver Mike Williams a chance to get back into the NFL. He rewarded you by becoming your leading receiver. I, I saw a story this morning that said maybe you give Matt Leinart that same opportunity to make your roster. Any thoughts to bringing Matt Leinart in? Well, we really can't talk about the free agency situation right now, so there's really no names I can banter around, unfortunately. So I'm sorry we can't do that yet. But uh, we're, we're, what we're always going to do is compete to be on every single opportunity. And John and I are determined to try and every single thing that comes out there that, that gives you a chance to improve your football team, we're going to investigate thoroughly make a decision where it fits with us and then move on and, and, and go after it or not. You know, and that's, that's why we've been so active and that's how you know, we're in everything that's happening, uh, uh, we hope, so that we take a good competitive shot at it. So we'll, you know, we'll consider all the options when the, when the time comes. Joined by Pete Carroll, he's the executive vice president of football operations. He's also the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, the NFL, obviously, we're in a lockout right now, so there's no organized workouts. You're unable to work with your players or really even talk to your players. How much pressure will this lost workout time put on your coaching staff and other coaching staffs in the NFL to get ready for the start of the season whenever we get that green light? Well, it's relative, but we're always under pressure. You know, this is a this is a high pressure business. Everybody is doing everything they possibly can to gain every edge possible, and so uh, this with pre- present by being presented with some new factors, you know, 
the, the time frames were changing and, and free agency following the draft and on and on and on. You know, we're all competing to figure it out. And so, uh, you know, we're, we have plans upon plans depending on when things kick back into business again. You know, it could be, it could be tomorrow. It could be all the way till, you know, right up till camp time. Or it could even be into, into the camp time. So we have to be ready for all the scenarios. And that's what we've done. We've played a lot of contingency type of games with ourselves to try to figure it out, you know, and, and then make plans that, that fit. And, and as we go by the time frames, okay, this one doesn't apply anymore. We just, we just keep throwing them in the, in the hopper, you know. So, uh, that, that's how we're doing it, and, and we're just trying to make sure that we're ready for whatever. And when free agency clicks, we're going to hit it a thousand miles an hour in the moment that they say we're on, you know, and, and on and on. That's how we're dealing with it. Do you have any concerns about guys not working out and coming in out of shape, or guys that are working out and they might get hurt because they're unsupervised? Um, um, yeah, I'm, I am concerned because we we go to great depths and great lengths to to make a, an off season with structure and and with a plan with a process to bring about guys at the right time so that they can. You know they can really peak properly for their camps and in, in, in the start of the season. So we don't have uh, a, a pulse on that right now. So uh, I, I think for the most part our guys have a good conscience about working out. But when it's not as structured as it could be, then you leave you know you leave out opportunities for the guys to, to miss on the consistency and the competitiveness and the challenge of it all and, and the guidance from people you know that, that you know that are involved with our program. I just think NFL coaches are in a really tough spot right now. You're caught in the middle of the battle between the players and the owners. You work for the owners, but obviously you want to talk to your players and you want to you know go through OTAs and get them ready for the season. Yeah, well, you're right. <laughs> you're on it. Well, that's, that's kind of what it feels like. And and uh, right now, we, you know, there's not many things that, that we're really even you know able to speak on. But uh, that is a situation that we have to deal with. And, and uh, I think as soon as we get back to business, everything is gonna is gonna kick right back into into full speed high gear, and and I think uh, everything that will have happened, you know, we'll we'll, we'll deal with and and all, and all that. But the 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 pressure and the, the you know the tension that will come from having to get a season ready will really direct all of our focus and our attention when when we get back together. Coach, you're a grinder. You work as hard as any coach I've ever seen. When I was down at USC for a few days, I just watched you, and you work hard. Uh, when I interviewed you in your office, you had a cot. In your office, and I know that some nights you slept there because you were doing so much work. Do you have a, a cot in your office at the Seahawks office? Are you spending nights uh, trying to get ready for the next game? Well, we get a little bit of an advantage here in Seattle that we don't have to commute, and, the, and the, 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 they don't live so far away from the office that we pick <laughs> up. You know, in that, that effort, you're just trying to pick up another hour of sleep so that you can you know, be effective the next day, or and sometimes it's just the best to not get on the road. But but all in all, we're, we got it worked out here where we don't need to sleep in the office here. we got to figure it out pretty good. I'm excited to see you and uh, new Niners coach Jim Harbaugh go at it. You guys, USC, Stanford, you had some good games there. Uh, what do you think about Coach Harbaugh coming to the NFC West? Well, I think he's done a great job in, in, in establishing himself at, at Stanford. and He did some marvelous things, had a great run, and, and put it together and showed that he was – Worthy of getting you know this opportunity, and now that he's in San Francisco, where you know they're in, in need of change and turnaround, and you know I would think that Jimmy's going to bring a lot of great you know a great energy for it. He's competitive as heck. He's tough. Uh, he's got a good way about him. I think he's going to be a big factor in, in, in our division, and, and uh, you know I welcome it, and, and always like competing against him, and, and we'll get get that chance right off the bat. We open up with those guys, so we'll, we'll get after it from the beginning, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Coach, what are your thoughts about the Pac-12? I mean, since you left, they've added two teams. They just signed a multi-billion-dollar TV contract. They're doing some pretty innovative things. Have you been taking note? Yeah, well, I think that Larry Scott, who jumped in there, has really you know turned around the mentality of it. I think uh, the the Pac-10 for so many years kind of had that feeling like we were 
kind of out of the, the loop a bit, you know, and in, in, in just the national kind of interest and concerns to a certain extent. We didn't want to admit it, but it was kind of happening, and you can see it happening in, in different phases. Uh, I think Larry has taken on a very aggressive approach, and he's really brought, you know, brought about a, a mentality. Now, I don't know enough to speak about, you know, the, new, the teams that have entered in or the divisions of it and, and the different sections of it. I don't even know that much about it, but um, but I do think that, it's, that the energy that he's brought is really updating the Pac-10 and catching up with what's happening in the Southeast and, and you know, ACC and those kinds of conferences that are really doing good stuff. And I think he's going to bring it, bring it right to where it deserves to be. We talk about innovations. You were one of the first coaches that really embraced social media. I follow you on Twitter, at Pete Carroll. Great follow. You got your song of the day. You have Twitter chats. Really an inside, uh, behind-the-scenes access for the fans. Tell me about social media and, and your brand and just communicating with the fans. Well, as we learned about it early on, you know, we started out with it with USCRipsit.com was our website to just just to kind of experiment and to see what we could uh, get done. And, and some young guys on the staff came together, and Ben Malcolmson joined us and and uh, um, and, and gave us a, a chance to really kind of organize it. And we just had fun with it. Really, is what it was about. As I got more into it, I realized that we were able to send the message out and 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 clearly express who we were and what we we're all about in, in, in a way that you know you couldn't do otherwise. And you could kind of eliminate some of the filters, and and so I thought it was a, it became a a real good, just a real good method for us of communicating with our following and and, and with you know anybody that was considered and wanting to know what we're all about in a way that we could control, and I, so I, I liked it and had fun with it and continued to do that. All in all, I think it's just, it just makes it more engaging for the fans, and I think it allows us to express who we are more clearly. That's Pete Carroll, the Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Head Football Coach of the Seahawks. Coach, thanks for taking time and best of luck this season to you. All right, thanks for checking in with us. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined right now on the phone by Bill Duffy, the president of BDA Sports. Bill's been an agent for a long time helping basketball players. Represents Greg Oden, Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo, Yao Ming, and others. Bill, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So let's talk some business here. Uh, your agency represents Greg Oden. Let me just ask you from the get-go, does Greg Oden want to be in Portland for the long term? Uh, the short answer of that is yes. Um, I think Greg, from what I can gather, uh, feels like there's unfinished business there. Absolutely loves the community. Uh, he loves the chemistry of the team. Uh, he knows that there's a commitment there to excel. And I think on a personal level, uh, he has the same aspirations. So there's a, a, you know, a duplicate desire here to, to win and to be competitive. And I, I just, you know, the, the poor kid's been an unfulfilled 
you know, mission, on an unfulfilled mission at this point. So he definitely wants to correct things, and he's working very, very hard uh, to put himself in that position. Yeah, he's only 23 years old. So, I mean, he's nowhere even near his prime. So you would think if he could just get healthy, and we've seen the glimpses right before he got hurt. I mean, he had a 20-rebound game. He was dominant. So if he could just stay on the court for a stretch, why do you think, I mean, is he? you hear injury-prone all the time, but is there any science as to why he's gotten hurt so often? Well, you know, we're, we're still trying to wrap our, our minds around that. I mean, everyone has put a lot of, of effort in, in keeping him healthy when he gets hurt, but I think you learn more about, more and more about your body. And, and I've, I've shared this with him personally. I kind of liken this to Anthony Munoz, who actually I played high school sports against, who was injured at USC. And there's a parallel here because Greg played one year in college, but throughout Anthony Munoz's first three college years, I think he played a total of 10 games. And he was finally healthy his senior year ends up being the third pick, fourth pick in the draft and becomes a Hall of Fame and arguably one of the best offensive tackles ever, you know, in history. And I think you, you learn about your body, you correct things, and maybe there's some deformative things that you, you can make adjustments to as you learn more and more. And then once you, you learn that and you learn how to train where your weaknesses or, you know, idiosyncrasies are, and you move forward from that. I think it's just been more of an education, but I don't think anything else can happen so, and I think he's healed properly, and, and now we've had the, the best medical care possible, and his head is straight, and I think he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. Bill, how much is it just a big person on big knees and big feet? I mean, you represent Yao Ming, and he's had his share of problems that may force his retirement. Have those guys talked at all about what they can do to stay healthy? And, and you know, they're just big guys with tough health problems. You know, I, I think it's it's the brittleness of the bones and the and the, the thrust with these big guys who put so much pressure on their bodies, and you know the only, I mean you've seen Bill Walton, I mean you've seen just a number of guys, Kevin McHale who I played college ball with, I mean always had those same issues and it caught up to him later in his career, but I, I think it's just you know big guys who put a lot of pressure on their bodies and and maybe their feet are like everyone else's, they're just not as strong. Um, to withstand all that force and pounding. And also, you know, what, what has also changed dramatically, and, and I've always shared this as it relates to Greg and Yao Ming, these guys play basketball, whether it's through AAU or playing with the national team in China, they play, you know, upwards of 150 games a year. And, and that can't help but wear you down. So I think rest is important and, and knowing where to exert pressure, not putting pressure on your joints uh, and your bones during the offseason, but just kind of change your training so that it's a limited amount of time that you have such consistent impact on your body. Joined by Bill Duffy, the president of BDA Sports. He represents Greg Oden, Steve Nash, Yao Ming, Rajon Rondo. I just had Chad Buchanan on, acting GM of the Blazers, and the Blazers seem pleased with Greg's work ethic, the progress he's making. He's down there in Los Angeles working out and rehabbing. What are you seeing from Greg as far as his rehab goes? I see the same. Um, I see a, a, a work ethic. There's other professional athletes. If I'm not mistaken, I think Tom Brady's training there. Corey Maggette, he sees other guys coming in and working really hard, guys who are accomplished, and I think that's inspiring him. I think those guys are also like patting him on the back. I also think just, you know, like because he's not in Portland, he's able to kind of go, it's almost like a retreat, even though it's L.A., where let me go out here and really focus on when I come back, it's going to be the new Greg Oden. I think another aspect that's critically important is just he's matured a lot. Like I think in terms of, you know, how he eats, how he rests, I mean, just that whole education process, the maturation in him, I think, has been very pronounced. 
Uh, and I think that's going to pay dividends moving forward once he's healthy. You guys are very full service. You're very outside the box. Have you ever sat Greg down with a sports psychologist? Because I would imagine at 23 years old, after you've been hurt as many times as he has, the mental part of coming back is just as important as the physical part. Yeah, he's been very receptive. We have done that to uh, counseling, therapy, intervention, just to to let him understand all the pressures uh, and not to put too much pressure on himself, but just to, to everybody needs that, not just an athlete, but just someone to talk to and, and share your your thoughts and your concerns and, and kind of just get reassurance that you do things the right way, you stay patient, and you know, keep your eye on the prize that you'll be fine. So, yeah, he's been very receptive to that. And the beauty about him is, as you, you all know, up in Portland, he's highly intelligent, so he's very receptive to that, and he's an educated person. He went to college for one year, but he's also gone back to summer school, so he has you know, educational, intellectual aspirations that, you know, endear him to that more so that he's open and willing to, to get professional, you know, guidance and support at every level. That, that's just not in that respect in terms of his business people, his financial planners. I mean, he's very engaged and, and very meticulous in learning about those nuances. Last question on Odin. It's his agent, and I know Mike Conley works with him too. You know, I look at what Horford got and what Noah got on their deals, roughly about $12 million a year. How do you set value with a guy who's 23 years old, he's seven foot tall, he was the number one pick in the 2007 draft, but he's been hurt and he's only played 82 games in three seasons. How do you set his value? Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the mastery of the agency business, I guess. Um, you know, you, quite frankly, we hadn't even thought about that, and we don't, we don't want him thinking about that. We want him thinking about getting out on the court. We feel like he'll have the opportunity uh, before we have those discussions for him to establish what his value is, uh, not just with Portland but throughout the league, and that will be a process. And, you know, there's two aspects of that. It's how much the current team values you and then how much the market uh, receptivity there is to you. So that that'll work itself out. It's not the focal point right now, but it will be when we get to that that process. Just a few minutes left with Bill Duffy, the president of BDA Sports Reps, the likes of Greg Oden, Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo, Yao Ming. All right, so we know that there could be a work stoppage, and I know teams can't really talk about things, but from where you sit as an agent representing many prominent players in the NBA, where do you think this thing is headed, Bill? I think we're going to have a lockout. Um, I don't think anyone will feel pressure until we get to the latter part of the summer and we're approaching training camp. Uh, we're pretty far apart in terms of our issues. And what's interesting is there's a, a, a parallel situation with professional football that, that we're studying and observing. I think both sides are. And as it relates to the litigation in, in football, I think there's things we can learn on what steps could be taken on both sides. So, I mean, it's business. And when you get to this aspect, you roll up your sleeves and you protect your, your turf. And the owners want to protect their turf, and the players want to protect, you know, what they feel their entitlements are. So uh, it's going to get, a, I don't want to say nasty, but it's going to get uh, pretty tense here, uh, I think, after July 1. NFL players decertified. They don't have guaranteed contracts, though. They just get paid for their signing bonuses. NBA players have guaranteed contracts. Do you ever see a scenario where NBA players may actually decertify as part of this process? I do. And if that's the only legal recourse or remedy that the players see, I I think they'll go to that extent. I think that works both ways, though. Uh, The players may be sacrificing contracts, but I don't think that owners want every player in the NBA having the capability to sign indiscriminately wherever they choose to sign because there's some significant franchise players on teams that you know they would have the ability to just go wherever they choose to go and i don't think anyone 
wants that chaos, but I think that would be equally disruptive to the owners uh, as it would the players. So, Bill, explain to our listeners, if the NBA players decertify, that means that all of the contracts that are currently signed are null and void. So LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Greg Oden, anyone else, their contracts would immediately be null and void. Is that correct? That's not an absolute certainty. I think there has to be some uh, a, a legal opinion on that. Uh, before that step is taken. I don't think that's 100% clear. I know David Stern has said that that is the case, but I think that that needs to be analyzed a little more closely from a legal perspective. You're a guy who has tremendous relationships with uh, other entities outside of the United States. If there was a lengthy work stoppage, would you ever suggest to your players, hey, go play abroad until this thing gets settled? Uh, We did that actually in 1998 with Michael Oluwakandi, who was the first pick in the draft. We signed a short-term contract with Kinder Bologna, at the time, and then we had language in his contract that upon the lockout termination or when the lockout was over that he'd have the ability to come back. So we, we have done that before. I would say we probably have five or ten clients that that would be of interest to teams at a very high level. Um, I think you'd see more of that in the Asian markets, uh, in Japan and China, because you know those are countries that are trying to compete with Europe. And I think they would be more compelled to be flexible on contracts to have that type of star power and then also have the same flexibility. So, I mean, every option's on the table when you're talking about your, you know, your livelihood and your career. Last question before I let you go. What are the main issues at stake here for the players and the owners? Is it BRI? Is it uh, length of contract? What are the main two to three main issues in your mind? I think it's the, the hard cap, uh, which I think is, is just... We, we, you can't agree to a hard cap. That, that type of rigidity, it, it's harmful to the players' mobility, but it, and I also think it's harmful for the teams because they have inflexibility to change the composition of their rosters. But if you analyze the NBA structure right now as we speak, you've got a, a rookie scale, so there's, there's cost certainty on a rookie player. You have two option years within the first four years of a rookie's contract, so you have two options to evaluate the progress of your rookie before you commit to them on a long-term basis. You have a salary cap, which is a soft cap. That soft cap allows teams to go over that to re-sign their own players. You also have an, a luxury tax, which in essence is a hard cap because the majority of the teams choose not to go over the luxury tax, so there's cost certainty at a higher level above the soft cap. Then the fourth mechanism is you have an escrow tax, where the players are already giving up to 10% of their salaries back if the revenues exceed a certain level. So they have four levels of cost certainty at the various levels of a player's career. So from my vantage point, I don't see what more certainty they need. It, it, to me, it's like take responsibility for how you manage your organization, the decisions you make. And, I mean, you see coaches getting humongous contracts. That's on a management level. So, I mean, to me, it's like when you win and you manage it properly, then, you know, the profits come in, the value of your franchise increases. You've had examples of Sacramento when they had their, their years with Weber and, and Bibby and Stojakovic where they were successful and with a high payroll. You've seen, you know, San Antonio, because they, they, they managed their situation wisely. I think they made money. Um, they were a championship contender without being in a huge market. Now you see parity in the league. You see our, uh, Oklahoma City progressing in the playoffs as a young team by virtue of their good decisions, their draft picks. You see Memphis now, you know, where they've, they've had a chance to create stability and, and sign their own players because of the structure. And they're a competitive team now. So the, the parity that they're seeking, they already have. So I, I just don't see where there needs to be a change. I think sometimes, you know, the employer needs to take better inventory on how they manage their expenses, 
you know, nobody's forcing them to play, pay salaries to various players. And if you make good decisions on coaching, management, player movement, then you're likely going to have a good product. And if you market it well in the community, as Mark Cuban has, despite the fact he has a huge payroll, you win a championship, and I'm sure there's an ancillary benefit to that. As someone who's been around the NBA a long time, you're very influential. How much will you be sitting at the bargaining tables as this all gets hammered out? Uh, I'll be in the back room because this is the players' union, and the players run it. The agents ad- advise uh, the union and the players. But, um, I mean, obviously I'm heavily invested in this thing, and I've been involved heavily in, in the previous negotiations kind of behind the scenes as an advisor. But the agents are the ones who do this day-to-day. So our participation is, is paramount and critical to the process. Bill Duffy, one of the best agents in all of sports. Bill, I really appreciate you taking time to join me today. It's my pleasure, and uh, I hope all is well. Thank you very much. That's Bill Duffy, president of BDA Sports. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Larry Scott. He's the commissioner of the Pac-12. Larry, how are you? Doing great today, thanks. Congratulations on a big week for you last week. I noticed when you came to the podium for the press conference to announce the Pac-12's new broadcast and digital rights deal, the only item that you were holding was an iPad. And I just thought that was so fitting for a guy like you who's into technology. You're based in the Silicon Valley. How much has your relationship with Apple and Google helped you better understand how your digital content might be distributed best in the future? Oh, it's been great to have access to some of the leaders of uh, technology companies out here, many of whom are alumni of Pac-10 schools. So I've spent a lot of time uh, trying to understand the future as well as the current media landscape. Um, obviously, you know, we're used to dealing with the ESPN Foxes versus and all that, but there's tremendous change happening in, in distribution and technology. And especially when you're thinking about a long-term deal like we've just struck, you know, my goal is to make sure, you know, we've got the leading and best media agreements five years from now, 10 years from now, not just you know, in 2012. So that those discussions have really informed our strategy, have informed the reason for holding that valuable rights to create the Pac-12 network, Pac-12 digital network, and we're going to be very focused on how we serve 
our content and our games and information to our fans who here on the West Coast are very mobile and very tech savvy. Yeah, starting in 2012, every football and men's basketball game is going to be televised on either ESPN, Fox Sports, or the new Pac-12 network. You know, I remember when I talked to you last year, you talked about the challenge of getting people on the East Coast to notice, even to the point where you took some of your football coaches on a press tour out in New York City to make the media more familiar with them. This deal's got to help your exposure to the East Coast and the other people around the country, right? Certainly will. One of our requirements in the deal going forward was that our broadcast platforms would be national, not just regional. So that's going to be a big departure from the way our games are structured currently. And in football, certainly with national games on ESPN, uh, but our ABC games tend to be mostly regionalized to the West Coast. So East Coast fans aren't seeing some of our best games. Uh, Fox Sportsnet covers a lot of the country, but there are some territories where they get blacked out or they don't get coverage. So that's been a concern for some of our fans. And going forward in football, between ABC Broadcast Network and Fox Broadcast Network, all those will be fully distributed nationally, 100% of the country and then we'll be on ESPN Family and Fox, uh, Fox's FX channel, which is a 100% nationally distributed entertainment network. And in basketball, similarly, we're going to be on the ESPN Family of Networks. We'll still have 22 games on FSN, but we're going to have the Pac-12 network, which we expect to be available nationally, covering a lot of the football and basketball as well. So it's going to be a real difference maker. Let's talk about the draft. There's a draft, as I understand it. ESPN Fox have the right to 44 football games a season. Pac-12 Network gets the rights to 36 football games. Explain how this draft process works and when it's going to take place. Yeah, it's not uncomplicated because basically you have three media entities dividing up our 80 football games and then, you know, 170 plus basketball games. So week by week, we've decided of the three entities, ESPN, Fox, and Pac-12 networks, you know, who gets the first pick in any given week. So the Pac-12 network will get the first pick in two in two weeks, for example. ESPN and Fox will divide up uh, the, the other 10 weeks. Um, then the second pick goes in any given week, and the Pac-12 network gets certain second picks, and ESPN and Fox get certain second picks, so on and so forth. Same is true in basketball. And in that way, we can ensure the Pac-12 network gets a certain quality in, in addition to quantity of uh, great football and basketball games, and ESPN and Fox get what they need. Joined by Larry Scott, he's the commissioner of the Pac-12. Larry, how much did Fox losing the Los Angeles Lakers affect the leverage you had with providing them with compelling sports content that could fit into their schedule? Because that was a gaping hole for them, and it looks like you were in a position of terrific leverage and timing. Yeah, our timing was great. I mean, there's no question about that. I'd like to think we did some things very well, but we were certainly very fortunate as well. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Time Warner getting involved with the Lakers uh, in L.A., uh, the NBC-Comcast merger happening, and them successfully bidding for uh, the NHL rights outbidding ESPN, uh, the Googles and Apples of the world, and Hulu's starting to you know acquire content. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the distribution system, and uh, these networks are trying to defend their territory. And because ESPN and Fox are real leaders, in the college sports landscape, they wanted to be very aggressive to maintain the position they have and felt the Pac-12 was a very coveted property, so much so that I think they realized during the process that 
each on their own wasn't going to be the successful bidder. We had more attractive options. And so they decided to come together in a pretty unprecedented way to acquire our rights as a package. When the NCAA did their deal with CBS for the men's Division I basketball championship before their most recent deal, they included an opt-out about halfway through the deal. Is there any kind of an opt-out in your deal with ESPN and Fox, or are you bound to them for the next 12 years? Oh, no, we're bound together. And, uh, you know, giving them that length of contract was a very important component to them as they try to, you know, preserve their position in college sports and in the distribution world. Um, But we do have the ability to uh, expand and grow. There's some flexibilities built into the contract if uh, the nature of our conference changes. So, for instance, if you added other teams to the conference, maybe there's a revenue bump, right? Correct. We have that uh, possibility. So several of the Pac-12 schools are going to need to buy their way out of their current media rights contracts. For example, the University of Oregon has a deal with IMG. Oregon State has a deal with Learfield. How much consideration were those fees given when negotiating this new deal? Uh, Absolutely. They were front of mind. Um, Other conferences have been through the same thing. So the amount of money that we are generating for the schools um, is uh, on a gross basis. There will be certain costs associated with cobbling together some of the rights that have uh, otherwise been sold or represented by local multimedia rights holders. So there's certainly going to be some costs against this, uh, but uh, you know, pretty small in the total scheme of things. Sure. But, are, you know, give us an idea. Are we talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars, you think, to buy out of these, or are we talking millions of dollars? Um, I, you know, it's hard to say exactly. We're just at the beginning of getting into that process right now. So they're not, they're not insignificant, but as a percentage of the revenue that's going to be coming to sure. the school. It's very small. Yeah, I mean, each school is going to take in an average of $21 million during this 12-year deal. As commissioner of the Pac-12, and, and you've already proven to be such a visionary for the conference, how would you like to see the schools spend this money that they're receiving from this deal? Well, you know, every school is in a different situation. Um, most people don't realize that uh, you know, many of our schools have debts to the university um, that should be repaid. Um, various schools are running at a deficit, and I think the idea that our athletics departments can be self-sustaining financially going forward is very appealing, especially at a time with such economic pressure on universities and decreased public funding for higher education. The fact that you know vital university resources want us to be drained from the university at large to prop up athletics is very compelling and I hope resonates well throughout campuses. Beyond that, what I'd say is, you know, the facilities in the, in the Pac-10 have been behind uh, other peer conferences and our athletics directors have been, you know, very aggressive about developing plans and those needed funds there. Um, so there's, there's a variety of, of needs, but every campus is a little different and these decisions are best made by the university presidents with their athletic department leadership. Larry, people see so much money being spent in college athletics. This deals case in point. We see coaches being paid lots and lots of money. Explain to our audience how many of the athletic departments, as you were just mentioning, they strive to break even or just make a little bit of money. It's not like they're raking in money because they've got to pay for the other sports, right? Well, that, that's in a nutshell. People tend to focus on football and basketball, but you know, most schools in the back 12, average over 20 sports that they're supporting, yet there's only one or two sports making money. I mean, football is the only sport making money at every school. Basketball makes money at most schools, yet you're supporting these sports and teams. We've got, just to put this in perspective, we've got 6,000 student-athletes 
participating um, in sports across the, the Pac-10 currently, approximately 250 teams. That is very expensive, and that's because, you know, philosophy of our schools is a broad-based commitment of sports sponsorship. There's other conferences out there where, on average, they might only sponsor 15, 16, 17 uh, teams, and there's not as much of it as a financial pressure. So it comes down to the philosophy of this conference, which is a great one, which is, you know, we're supporting a lot of student-athlete opportunity. Yeah, the other winners, I think, here besides the, the football and basketball players who get more exposure and the coaches who get more exposure is, I think, kind of those secondary sports, women's sports, but then also, you know, it looks like on Pac-12 TV network, we're going to see maybe some Olympic sports and some baseball and some uh, tennis and softball, and I think those athletes will finally get some recognition as well, right? Absolutely. That was a very important goal for us. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is known for its success in Olympic sports. There are more NCAA titles that have been won in this conference than any other by far. Uh, we put more Olympians out of this conference than any other, yet we've had scant exposure for the Olympic sports. So one of the things that will certainly make me happiest is when we get our Pac-12 network up and running and digital network up and running to see hundreds of Olympic sports uh, games and matches broadcast and have family, friends, fans from across the country be able to see how prolific our athletes are. When do you start ramping up hiring people for your network? Do you have any idea where you're going to base it from, who your partners are going to be, things like that? Over the next couple of months, we're really going to concentrate on strategic partnerships with uh, uh, networks, production uh, uh, companies, and or distributors directly. Uh, that's our primary focus, uh, striking you know, key strategic partnerships. Then actual hiring of staff, location of facilities, specific di- distribution conversations probably won't happen toward near the end of the year. Last question for you. You were hired in large part because you're an outside-the-box thinker. You're aggressive. You've proven to be that on the job. Uh, since you become commissioner, you've added two teams to the conference. You've added a championship game for football. Now you've orchestrated this huge broadcast and digital rights deal. All right, Larry, what's next on your list? What are you going to conquer next? Well, we got a lot on our to-do list <laughs> to make sure what we've uh, done over the last several months works well. So certainly a very full to-do list in terms of getting our network and digital network up and running, having a successful football championship game. But next is really figuring out our basketball tournament, which has been in L.A. for about 10 years, and we're going to go through a process to talk to different cities throughout our footprint and ultimately decide do we keep it in L.A. or or move it to other cities. And then beyond that, we've got our sights set on international development of the conference, and particularly Asia probably is a first priority. Given our universities are the most prominent you know, on, the, on the West Coast here, uh, the gateway to the Pacific Rim, we see sports and Pac-12 athletics as a great opportunity to build the profile and exposure for our universities more broadly and help with the institutional goals that our presidents and chancellors have for development of their schools. Uh, internationally. I spent you know, about 20 years in pro tennis internationally and realized there's tremendous opportunity for us uh, in Asia and other international markets. Interesting, because yeah, you're right. There is a proximity of the Pacific Coast to Asia. And I look at what some leagues have done. I mean, you at the WTA, but the NBA and other leagues who have successfully uh, promoted their brand in Asia. And it's such a fertile territory. Do you ever see the day where maybe you're doing broadcast and digital rights deals with international entities in China or Japan or other countries like that? 
I do. That's uh, that's our vision. We uh, we hope to get there. It'll take some time. That's more medium to long range goal, but it's something that's achievable in my view. Larry, thank you so much for your time. I think you've done a fantastic job, and uh, congratulations on the big deal this past week. Thanks very much. That's Larry Scott, Pac-12 Commissioner. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. And welcome back to Sports Business Radio. I'm executive producer Brian Griggs. Thanks so much for checking out the best of SBR today. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, you can head to our website, sportsbusinessradio.com, download it on demand via podcast, as well as other shows. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SB Radio. All the icons for that are on the homepage. And while you're there, I invite you to fill out our survey so we can find out more about you and where you listen to SBR. And if you fill that survey out, you will have a chance to win a segment on a future SBR show. Pretty cool. You can join us in studio and promote your business for a segment. Fill the survey out right now, sportsbusinessradio.com. I want to thank our staff, Doug Zanger, Jared Meltzer, Josh Blanks, Darren Peck, Ron Bard, James Harris. And, of course, Brian Berger. Get well soon. He'll be back in the driver's seat next week. I'm Brian Griggs. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 